you have your Bibles today, we're going to be turning to 1 John chapter 3. If not, it's going to be up on the screens, and we're going to be starting in verse 11, our brand new series today that the Lord's placed on my heart. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was, one of, the e- who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we, here's a verse we're going to focus on for the next three weeks. We know that we have passed out of death into life because why? We love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Scripture tells us that the aged apostle John in bidding farewell to his congregation, admonished that we should love one another. Early church historians record that the reason why John repeated this admonition was because of a want of the people of his congregation. Give us a new commandment, they they asked John. And John replied and says, I don't have a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, that we should love one another. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about the four loves in the Greek that are written in the New Testament. It's an incredible book. I would, I would actually invite you to read it. It's about 9 or $10 on Amazon. Um, I love how C.S. Lewis gets the word wrong. When, he, when you listen to his lectures, he calls it agape. And you know us Americans, we call it agape. And so we have to be right, and C.S. Lewis has to be wrong. But it's incredible to, to note just the difference in cultures of learning. But the meaning of the word is the same. It's an incredible... Uh, life. So when God says, when Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor, the word that he picked was agape. And to study actually out the reason why he didn't pick the other three Greek words of love, but he picked the word agape is a really good study for you to understand the kind of love that you need to have for God and for others. And so he writes in this book, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But know that in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but your heart will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, Because in the end, to love is to be vulnerable. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, entitled our message, Death to Life. Heavenly Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to help? And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Almost from the beginning, the Bible paints the picture of a world in conflict. More specifically than the world, relationships in disarray. Uh, The dictionary defines conflict as this, a serious disagreement or argument, typically a protracted one. Some of us call call that marriage, but we're not going to go there today. (laughs) Wikipedia's admission and definition of conflict is interesting, and I want to be just very careful that we don't believe everything that the internet says, especially Wikipedia. Come on, somebody. But I found that their their, uh, definition of conflict was quite interesting. A conflict is a struggle and a clash of interest, opinion, or even principles. And here's what I found interesting. 
Conflict will always be found in society. Look to your neighbor and say, not you and me, hopefully, but probably me and you. (laughs) The biblical narrative of conflict is clear and obvious and simple. There has been a lot of it, and there will be more to come. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the first family, that, that the first marriage of Adam and Eve. It wasn't a chapter in to the creation of, of what we know as, as human beings that the serpent was allowed to ask a cunning question that caused the first conflict. Did God really say? There is something about our will that when not anchored upon the truth of God can pave a way for destruction of everything good in our life. It also can anchor everything good if it's anchored upon His will. And we understand that we have a choice. So conflict was found in Genesis chapter 3, and then also conflict was found in Genesis chapter 4, and it details the conflict that this family had with each other. Referenced in our text is the conflict between Cain and Abel. See, conflict with God will always come to the forefront with conflict with people. They are, listen to me, tied, according to Scripture, together in cement. A lot of people will say, well, pastor, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, the truth is, is if you love God, you will have a love for His church. And let me give you a further truth. When you're found loving the church, what ends up happening is you'll have to have a greater love for God because people are crazy. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not you. He's not talking about you. He's talking about me. There is just something so, I could stop this sermon here this morning. There is something about getting a, a, a people in a, in a room with each other, and even you'll even have a conversation about the definition of love, and by the time you're having a conversation about the definition of love, you'll get mad at the person you say you love. Conflict is this inevitable thing in the body of Christ that is, is listen to me, it's inevitable. It's not a matter of... Of, of if offenses are going to arise in the body of Christ. It's a matter of when. And if you're coming to the church thinking that you're just going to be painted in such a way where you can do it alone, if I might just step on your spiritual toes here, there is no possible way for you to love God and not love people. And there's also no possible way for you to say that you love people without having a true love for God. Those, these things are, are, again, are tied to, to, together. You see, one of the first signs that you are out of relationship with God is when you see that you have conflict in your earthly relationships. One of the last signs to leave is not your spiritual giftings. The Bible says that there's going to be some that are going to make the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to say, well, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Did I do mighty works in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I've never knew you. So we can have our spiritual gifts. We can have the facade of Christian. We can dance really high. We can have the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we can actually fake our flesh thinking that we are okay with God. But one of the signs, one of the first signs to leave a person who has a hunger for God is their love or their, 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 their absence of love for the people that are around them. Love for each other is expressly tied and linked to each other. And the self-test, listen to me, is not how you love those you like. It's how you love those you don't like in the body of Christ. Isn't it interesting that we can lob 
bombs in our own church across the aisle to people that we haven't actually sat down with them and asked them where they're coming from, what they're doing, why they came to that conclusion. And I don't know if you know this, but there are times when people can be wrong. (laughs) And we assume, we assume the worst in people and, and we want to have the assumption of the best of us. And the word of God, I really believe this is prophetic for our church because where our church is going, there, there is going to require a maturity and a steeping in love that's, that, listen to me, that's going to be required of you to be a part of what the kingdom is doing. Because if you automatically want to assume the worst, assume that everyone else is false, assume that everyone else has bad doctrine, assume that everyone else is not really a Christian in the church, what you, are, what you are telling on is not the, the problem in the church. It's a problem with the way that you love people. It's my job to love people. Look to your neighbor and say, it's my job to love people. James chapter 2, verses 1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in other words, it's as important to love the people that you like as it is the people that you don't like. It's as important as you love the people that share your same shared experience in life as you love the people that don't have your shared, same shared experience. It's, it's important to know that your love that God has put inside of you is not just a love that is a weak love that can only handle people that like you. There is something deeper. And, and I want to I listen to you. Not only are you supposed to love the people in your church, you ready for this one? You're supposed to love the, uh, love the enemy that's found in your world. Love your enemies. And not only are you supposed to love your enemies, ready for this one? You're actually supposed to love other churches in town, other bodies of believers in town. Can you? Oh my gosh. Pastor is telling me I've got to love those people over there that believe opposite of the way that I believe. And how can Jesus love them? The truth is Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. What an incredible thing. Friendship and faith that only feeds me is not biblical. If you need something here this morning, if you're searching for love, if you're searching for friendship, if you're searching for that kind of deep, genuine, and authentic, uh, real relationships with the body of Christ, may I give you a kingdom principle here today. If you're trying to find it, why don't you be the first to give it away? If you need a friend, why don't you become a friend? If you need life, why don't you give life? If God has you at a place to where you're, you're maybe struggling financially, don't have an open hand just to receive, but have an open hand to also give. Pastor, that's good preaching. You keep going. Okay, I will. <laughs> One of my mentors, Donnie Moore, said the markings of a great day look like this, that you would pray for favor every day with God and man. You don't need everyone to like you, just the right person to like you. The second is that you need to pray for wisdom. And wisdom comes in three ways. Wisdom comes through pain. Wisdom comes through people. And wisdom comes through prayer. You need to pray for wisdom every day. The third thing that you need to do every day is pray for someone to come through my path today that I can do something for that can never repay me. When you find yourself praying like that, you're going to find yourself being close to the heart of God. But man's history largely has been opposite. Many of you can remember as I go through this next section of this message, I want you to to, to put yourself in grade school, in history class. Man's history books are filled with timelines of war. The point of reference that we teach our kids 
is not peace, but conflict. But God's desire for his church is the exact opposite. That our kids would not know us by our conflict, but by our love for each other. We, we are leaving a legacy in the house of God in the church. I want you to, to lock in with me as we dive into what, what we're actually dealing with. Our world is so divided. Tribal politics. We, we have people lobbing bombs at, everywhere at everything. The, the world has never been more unstable. Most of our kids that are born 20 years and under know nothing but a world of conflict and fighting. They know nothing more than church splits and church hypocrisy. And what they are searching for is a church that can be real in their relationships. Mankind has been in a constant battle. And to understand why man since the beginning has been in conflict, one only needs to look to the conflict found within you. People who walk by the flesh will even have conflict with those who are actually trying to help them. Especially those who are actually trying to help them. Jesus lived this. The very people that were awaiting his arrival were the very people blinded by their own power that killed him. The serpent, you have to know, hasn't gone away. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here is what Jesus said of the signs of the last day will be. Matthew chapter 24 and 10 reads this. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. I want you to notice I want you to notice the sequencing between verses 10 and 11. The rampant rise of the false will be caused by the body not being true. You cannot get to the false teachers without first having a false love for each other. If no one's ever pointed to you out the sequencing of how a church could go so wayward in the last days... Running from Scripture, running from the conviction of Scripture, running from the moving of the Holy Spirit, one needs to look no longer or further than this Scripture. The reason why we run to the false preacher, the false teacher, the false confession of Scripture is because the church has stopped being the true that we were called to be. It's when iron sharpens iron... That, that the congregation comes up to the pastor in a kind, loving, communicative way and say, Pastor, I think you might have missed that scripture, missed that understanding. And it's when the pastor says, you know, you might be right. Let me look at that. It's when iron sharpens iron that the false stays away from the church. But the moment that you're not willing to enter into conflict or conversation is the moment when you actually enter in the false. Think about that one for a moment. The reason why we can is because we, we don't even know what it means to walk in communication and not get so offended that we take our ball and go home. Well, no one can believe that because I believe the opposite. And then you find more people believe the opposite than you. And, we'll, and, and there's this conflict that rises, and the sequence is so important for you to understand because I want you to listen to me. People are not the problem. People are the mission field. If, you're, if, if your eye is to look at people that walk into your church as false or wrong or, or, or the reason why the church... Can I, just, can I just lightly come to you as your pastor and tell you what you need? Is you need to put the love of God's glasses on. 
people are not the problem. People are the mission field. The strongholds, the false, listen to me, it could be in their doctrine, it could be in the way that they see things, and you need to confront that. But you need to love the person. That's good preaching, Pastor. Keep going. All right, I'll keep going. So offense and hate precede the changing of the church to teachers and preachers who are false prophets. It's one of my core convictions as a pastor is that if, that if a member of our church or an attendee of our church can't come and have a conversation with me doctrinally, and my heart is not humble and say, you know, I am human and I can get things wrong. It is, it is in that offense and hate that really cloud godly sight for a congregation or a church. And the one way to surely not see what God is doing, you just put on the glasses of, of, of offense and hurt. I've waited almost 15 months to have this kind of message in this church because I want you to listen to me. God is going to call this church to another level of love for each other because what He is calling us to is going to require it. It's going to require it. When you, when you have the widows and the orphans and the, and the drug addicts and the, and the business owner that has been seeking after money coming into the church, and when you have, when you have different kinds of doctrines that have come into the church that are, that are false, it's not our job to, to take the false doctrine of somebody and rebuke them out to, go lo- to be lost and die in the world. No, it's our job to pull down the, strong, uh, the strongholds of bad doctrine and love the person to a place where they become right before God, to love each other. To love each other, not, not to gloss things over, not to gloss sin over, not to, not to act like it doesn't happen, not to act like you can't call someone out in love. No, love is the exact opposite of what you're seeing portrayed in the world. Love is confronting the thing in people's lives, but saying, I'm going to walk with you. I'm not just going to walk with you a month. I'm not going to walk with you for two months and then leave you on the wayside. No, I'm going to get in your life and we are going to do life together. That is discipleship. So the Bible says, Look at your neighbor and say, the Bible says that in the last days, many, 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 many will be offended. Everyone gets offended about everything. The music's too loud. The music's too short. The pastor's speech is too long. The service is too short. Everyone gets offended about anything. Some people like the carpet. Some people don't like the carpet. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there we go. Welcome to church. If you want to agree on anything, don't ask the question out loud. I'm telling you what, many people will be offended. Here's what 2 Timothy 3 and 1 through 5 says. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemies, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness. These are the people in church. But they're going to deny the power and from such people turn away. We're going to see incredible moves of God in our congregation. There's going to be services where pastor doesn't even get to preach. I'm offended. I'm offended now. Now I have to ask, like, practice what I preach today. Here's a Paul... Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy says, writes, there will be a time coming where people will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, don't offend us. Tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. So I want you to just track with me this morning. In the environment of offense 
in the environment of the lack of humility, love, and self-control, in the last days, which I believe we're living in, the harpezoing of the rapturing of the church, the second coming of Jesus, they're separate things, but they're closely tied to each other. It is in that environment, we're in the labor pains of the end times. It is in that environment, in the spirit of offense environment, where people in the church are going to hate one another. There's not going to be a true love. The Bible says that it's in that environment, perhaps the greatest miracle that will happen in the last days is not someone dancing in the aisles, not someone anointed in worship, not someone anointed in preaching, not a, not a back being straightened, not a dead person rising. Perhaps the greatest miracle that will happen in the last days is a church that will love each other. To love each other, to truly love each other. To not just love the good things about somebody, but to love the bad things about somebody. To love them so much that those bad things, they get convicted of and they begin to change. Perhaps the greatest miracle that Parkway is after is that we would love each other. Even further, a church that will love their neighbor. Even further, a church that will love their enemy. And even further than that, maybe a church that will even love other churches. Our instructions are clear. 2 Timothy 4 and 5 says this, But as for you, I want you to take your hand, put it on your heart and say, but as for me, I want you to always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For those of you that may be new to the faith or new to the, this, this kind of teaching, sober-minded means this, to be watchful, as in to be watchful of yourself. How many times in our love for other people are we blinded by their faults and we never look at our own faults? The Bible says, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Not, listen to me, not grace and mercy. There's a lot of that happening in the church today. Working out my own salvation with grace and mercy and working out other people's with fear and trembling. Isn't that the truth? Come on, somebody. The Bible, the Bible says that if you want to be the kind of, of kingdom-minded believer, what you're going to need is to be sober-minded, meaning be watchful. When the pastor gets up and teaches, why am I getting offended? Why am I getting convicted? When a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, well, what about this action or attitude? Your attitude should not be, how dare they? Your attitude should be, I'm thankful that I'm part of a body that is watching out for me and I'm watching out for them. Be sober-minded. The second thing is, you ready for this? Love is patient, love is kind. Uh, long-suffering. You know my definition of long-suffering? Suffering long. <laughs> You're going to have to endure some suffering. To undergo hardship, to be afflicted, endure afflictions, to suffer trouble. Let me give you the context of relationships in the last days. You are going to have to be willing to take the high road and be afflicted. The Holy Spirit will not just tell you when to talk. He will tell you when not to talk. Oh, come on, somebody. Let me give it to you in a, in a kinder way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you to shut up. <laughs> Don't look at your spouse right now. That's not good. <laughs> Reject the hard heart that comes with tough times. You have to learn to how to have rhino skin and a soft heart to be part of the kingdom of God. When people wrong you, don't let it hurt, you to, hurt your heart to offense. Let it hurt your heart to burden and love. To bear each other's burdens. The third thing that Scripture says that you are to do the work of an evangelist. 
That, that word in the, in the original defined by strong says to work, to toil, to do a deed, doing labor, to work. In other words, if you're going to want to see a move of God in the last days, how do you spell revival? W-O-R-K. It is going to take work. Sometimes someone's going to come up to you in the wrong spirit, in the wrong heart, and you're going to need to go in your car, turn some worship music on, and scream. And then you're going to stop screaming, you're going to turn the worship off, and you're going to go up and you're going to love somebody. Because oftentimes the people that are causing the greatest event, offense are oftentimes the people who are hurt the most. To people who kept criticizing his administration, President Lincoln once told this story. A traveler on the frontier found himself as night came on in a wild region. A terrible thunderstorm added to his trouble. He floundered along until his horse gave out, and then he had to get out and lead the horse. Occasional flashes of lightning afforded the only clue to the path, and the crashes of thunder, the story goes, were frightful. One bolt, which seemed to crush the earth beneath this rider, this walker at the time, made him stagger and brought him, brought him to his knees. Being by no means a praying man, his petition was shortened to the point. O oh Lord, if it's at all the same to you, would you give me a little more light and a little less noise? You know that you can't have one without the other. You cannot have love, true love, without conflict. And nor can you actually have lightning without thunder. Isn't that a beautiful prayer, though, that most of us pray in the church? Lord, thank you for the direction, but make sure you don't withhold your protection. I kindly want to come into your kitchen, your spiritual kitchen today, and tell you that the noise is necessary. The noise prepares and makes way for the authentic and genuine. Scripture states this about the noise found in relationships. Here's what 1 Corinthians 11 verses 19 says. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Is that what Scripture says? If you want to know the genuine and the authentic, the Bible says you've got to welcome the conflict. Ruth Graham says this, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. <laughs> the enemy's power to persuade wills requires a firm faith that resists. The admonition in 1 Peter, when it's speaking of an adversary, the devil who prowls around, the Bible says that you have to resist him and stand firm in your faith. So you're asking me this morning, Pastor, you've got me. The hook is there. Pastor, how can I be the genuine, kingdom-minded believer that I'm supposed to be? Thank you for asking, very kindly. If I am ever to see the conflict go to a place of maturity, my will needs to be anchored. Anchored means fixed and attached, and it needs to be submitted, yielding and deferring, to God's will, if I will ever get to experience life as He has created it to be. And that requires faith, which is my belief coupled in trust in God. Maybe some of you are new to the concept of a person's will. 
A person's will defined is the power by one by which one deliberately chooses or decides upon a course of action. Some of you maybe have heard the word volition, the faculty or power of using one's will, or the power to arrive at one's own decisions and to act independently despite opposition. I have a will. I have a choice. You guys understand that concept. Like I have, I, I have the right to not just get offended but also forgive. It's, it's, it's my will. It's my will. You've been given a will so that by your own choice you may choose to love God and love others or choose to reject God and reject His will. Outside of God depositing choice in you, love could not be returned to the person who offered love. Here's, what, here's an example of Deuteronomy of, of, of this kind of choice. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you It's a popular scripture. Life and death, blessing and cursing, and now you have a choice. So do you choose life that both thou and thy seed may live? It's a choice. Do I want to have a a kind of, of Christianity that denies the power of my choice? Or do I want to have the kind of Christianity that recognizes that God has given me the power to forgive when I've had to walk in a fence. Your, church, your choice determines blessing or cursing. And I want to just lay this lightly at your feet as God's opened up your heart through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to me. Your choice affects more than just you. You know, when we speak of breaking generational curses, what we are saying is the power of choice to follow God's will over mine will cause blessings to overcome the curses that are in my life. What I've been, one of the prayers, private prayers that I've been praying every day since I've been your pastor is that you would bring the sons and daughters of this house home. I'm not talking home to Parkway. I'm talking home to be right with Jesus. I, 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 want our, I want the legacy of this house to be that our sons and daughters will prophesy. That the enemy that has caused a detour in, detour in so many of our families that that assignment or curse is broken in the mighty name of Jesus. That our sons and daughters are going to come home. Many of them are, are experimenting in lifestyles that are, that are so against God's will in their life. And it's not our, again, it's not our job to cast them out to nowhere. But it's our job to love them through every situation and circumstance in their life. Lord, would you break the curses that are over our church families. And Lord... Would you allow us to choose blessing? God, that my sons, Jaden and Jace, would serve you all of their days. That they would have one of those boring testimonies. Those, those ones where they, they just feel like they've never had a drink of alcohol. They've never, they've never done anything so wrong. But Father, that you wouldn't make that to a place of legalism. But they, that you would, you would recognize in their heart that they're so thankful that they didn't have to go out in the world and try it like the prodigal, but they stayed right next to you with the right heart, that their, their love for people is so evident. What I want to see in our church is the prodigals come home, the kids that are here raised up to be right before God. But there's a choice. Oftentimes the reasons why our kids walk away from God is because what they see in the church. If your job today is to go armchair quarterback your pastor over lunch, may I lightly suggest, don't do that. 
Romans 12 and 13 gives us some really good instructions about how we are to deal with those who have less maturity than us in our faith, i.e. our kids. That we allow them to ask the questions. We allow them to sort of lead the conversations. And with godly wisdom, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to where line upon line, brick upon brick, your kids don't need to know how horrible the church is. One day they'll grow up and figure it all for themselves. Nod your head at me if you understand what I'm talking about. There's hypocrites in this room. There's, there's liars in this room. There's thieves in this room. And you're tracking with me. And I'm not going to even name names right now. I'm just saying that that's why the church is needed. That's why we open up our doors. That's why, that's why all of us come in a worship moment and we kneel and we say, Lord, I don't want you to change them. I want you to change me. When you begin to see how God wants to begin to move us, you love your pastor. You speak favor and blessing over him and his family. You love the staff pastors. You speak favor and blessing over their life. If you see something in our church that's amiss, don't talk about it. Go help fix it. If you see a need, give to that need. Sow into that need. If you see a brother or sister falling down, don't comment about how they fell down. Go back and pick them up. Go walk them. If, if there's someone that hasn't been in church in two or three or four weeks, pick up your phone. Do what you wish someone was going to do for you and do it for them. My old will is never so dead that it can't be resurrected. That's why the Bible says that we've got to pick up our cross and die daily to be people that loved. Brooke, if you can come back to the keyboard this morning. We see the conflict of the ages in operation daily in relationships all around us. God's will versus my will. A husband's will versus a wife's will. If you see the conflict of the ages, just find someone here who's raising a two to five year old. A parent's will versus a child's will. If you want to see it in the macro, why don't you just look on the TV screens of CNN, Fox News, and see what's happening in our nation or nation rising up against nation. I Just for the sake of following me here in this sermon, I know that you guys are tracking with me, but I want to go a little bit deeper. Take a look at the current headlines for further proof of the conflicts that abound. Fox had this article, Mother Kills Two Kids Herself, Murder-Suicide, Losing Custody Battle. Another Fox Colorado dentist enters plea, fatal poisoning wife, mother of six. UNC Chapel Hill last week, a student was charged with murder, fatal, fatally shooting the faculty. That's, the, that's the, the world that our kids are living in. I've never seen so much, so much disease, cancer, death. I've never seen so much hatred of one another. I've never seen so much. Have you? It's out of control. And the church should be the place where you come find respite for the world that is just doing what the world does. In the end times, sinners are going to be sinning. But the Bible says that what's going to be interesting is that the church is going to lose their first love and hatred and offense is going to abound. But let me prophetically declare over this house, not this church. Not this church, not this house. Come on, somebody, if you believe it, give the Lord a big round of applause. Not this house. Not my family. Not my family, not my church. 
when you're in conversations with a, a, a brother or sister in Christ that goes to another church and they want to chop up their pastor, they want to chop up that ministry, what you say to them is, hey, I don't have time for that. What I have time for is let's talk about the good things of God. When someone wants to talk about so-and-so in the church, no, not right now, we're going to love. And if you feel burdened on your heart, why don't you call them? Let's, let's take them out to coffee. Let's talk about how we can help them. Because what our world needs, our world needs a church that is so in love with Jesus that they love each other the way that Christ loved the church. Stories like this have become normal, haven't they? Overdoses, murders, conflicts, wars, tragedies, divorces, custody battles, broken no homes have become the norm. One researcher pointed out that I just read, if you were born after September 11, 2001, all you know is a world at war. All you have ever known is hyper-partisanship, church fights, breakdown of the family, an atmosphere of stress. You've known inflation. You can't move out of your home even though you work hard. Our nation, our world has been under stress. But God, but God in His grace and mercy over our life, we have the opportunity to show people a different way that you pray for those that despitefully use you, that you love your enemy, that you give not to get, but you give just to give. Second Timothy chapter three in the Amplified says this, but understand this, that in the last days, dangerous of times, they will come, and for some, they'll be hard to bear. But in that same Bible that says in the last days, that there would be struggle in times of stress, that same Bible says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I am believing that the church is getting ready to walk into the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. And it's really not a move of God, it's a move of man towards God because God's already taken a step towards you. He's here, he's ready. Like we're not praying for revival, revival's here. We're not praying for some crazy move of God. Listen to me. God's already moved towards us. What I'm praying for is that God would move your heart by your will, by your choice to a place of saying, Lord, would you change me? Would you change me to love like you? Would you change me to be burdened with the things that you're burdened for? I'm going to give you five things really quick that you need to understand about offense and church hurt. If you are a Christian, you have to understand that you are living under new kingdom principles. You do not have the right to keep offenses, but what you do have is you have the right to forgive and move on. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stay in, in relationships that are abusive. It doesn't mean that you need to stay in relationships that are causing you uh, continued offense. No, you can take steps back and there's degrees of relationships for, for, for sure. But in the church, in our, in our, as a Christian, when offenses come, what you have the right to do is to forgive. As a church body, my challenge to you is to be the first to show grace and humility. Don't have a spirit of an exclamation point over your life. Have a spirit of a question mark. Lord, I just want your will in my life. Show me. Four, that you would choose to believe the best in others. Maybe understand that you don't have everyone's whole story. And that's okay. 
And number five, I want you to listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. Offense is a good sign. It means you're being vulnerable and loving. If it has been a long time since you've been offended, it's probably a good sign that your heart has been hardened and you haven't reached out to try to love somebody. To love people is what God is after. In the backdrop of a world in chaos, I believe that God offers us a better way. If you want to be assured of your salvation, there's many ways. But 1 John 3.14 tells us how. You ready for it? We know that we have passed from death to life. Listen to it. Because we love each other. When the world is full of turmoil, would you stand on your feet this morning? When the world is full of turmoil, the body of Christ should be full of peace. When the world is full of immaturity, the body of Christ should be full of maturity. When the world is full of dissension, the body of Christ should be full of unity. When the world is full of hate, the body of Christ should be full of love. I, prophetically, this next three Sundays, felt like I was supposed to come and talk to our church and say the move of God that's here is going to require a love like you haven't felt in a long time. And to open up our hearts to say, Lord, I want to love like you. I'm willing and open and available. And it first starts that if you've got any offenses that are in your life, maybe there was a pastor that hurt you. Maybe there was a fellow church member that hurt you. Maybe there was a family member. Maybe there was a, a friend. I don't know what your story is today. But the sign that you're walking from death to life is that you learn how to love one another. Brooke, would you lead us in a worship song today?
stretch up your hands towards heaven as a sign of surrender to sing this song. Holy Spirit, would you fill us all? Your love, your peace, your guidance, your wisdom. surgeon taking out a scalpel and taking out an infection in our church right now. To love. To love with nothing required in return. Yes. Holy Spirit's telling me to remind you of the point of this sermon point of this Holy Ghost message. Our Heavenly Father does not take something from you without giving you something better in return. He's not a mean father. When I was young, a lot of my prayers that I would pray before God were about my future, my purity things that he didn't want me to touch things that he didn't want me to do and I had my future looking in front of me and I would give God everything everything was whatever you would have or require in my 40s my all looks a little bit different my wife my two children starting to pile up some regrets some decisions I wish I wouldn't have made you listen to me, listen, listen, listen. Dreams of my youth that haven't come to fulfillment yet that are now question marks like, God, did you really, is that your dream or just my dream? And you start dealing with disappointments. Talk to the 70s and 80s and 90s crowd and they don't really pray about God. Give me purity in relationships. It's like they've crossed that bridge been married 60 years, but what they will say to me in private conversation is, I gave God my future. I gave God my disappointments in my middle age, and now I'm asking God to help me with bitterness and unforgiveness and regret. A house that no matter what stage you're in, God says if you're young, you better love people dealing with disappointments in life, you better love people. If you're dealing with regrets and bitterness and shame, you better love people. And the only way to do that is to find yourself at an altar. An altar, again, is not some magical place down the front of the church, but we open up the front, we call it an altar, but an altar, it can happen in your car. An altar is just this place of commitment where you, it's between you and the Lord. It could be in your chair right now this morning. I don't know what your story is. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's how God speaks to you. You don't want all eyes on you. I, I completely understand. But men and women of God in this house, in order for us to experience all the things that God wants us to experience, there is a, 
There is a heart surgery that needs to take place. The critical complaining thing has to go. And the loving and grace-filled thing needs to come. In our words, in our actions, in our deeds. And here is the altar. The altar is today. You need to find someone in this house, in this church, in this community that you are not currently running with and begin to show them the love of God. Because the love of God is best seen with what you do to somebody and for somebody that can never repay you. When that kind of love begins to run through a church and run through a community, the move of God is not coming. It's here. I see a day prophetically where this house is filled with praise and worship and people are tucked underneath the stairs on their face before God. I see families that are coming down with sons and daughters and leading them into the presence of the Holy Spirit. I see prophetically someone walking from this side of the congregation to that side of the congregation saying, would you forgive me? I see new people like Ken coming up on a Sunday saying, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. I see it. I see, I, well, we're seeing it. We're seeing the move of God, but it's going to require a maturity and a love to return to the house of God lightly with the smallest tool that I have. Criticism has to go. A complaining spirit has to go. And that heart that we once possessed that is full of grace and mercy and real godly love don't let the enemy lie to you right now. Love is confrontation. Love is talking about the hard thing. Love is getting in the business when you really want to get out of the business. But love, true godly love that worketh, kindness of God, worketh us to repentance. What an incredible thing that is. And so I don't know what your, I don't know what your story is today. I don't know whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged like me, or whether you're old. But God, that I would have a heart after you to love you all of my days and a heart to love people. So I don't know how you want to do that. I don't know if you want to just, you know, we have three or four, four, four more minutes. I don't know if you want to come find a place quickly to, to pray. I don't know if you find where you're at in your seats, but I want you to do something. It's lifting up your hands. If it's turning your pew into an altar prayer area, I want you to, to visibly tell your flesh, flesh, you're not in charge. Holy Spirit's in charge of my life and I'm making a decision to love God and love people like never before. Next week we're going to give some practical ways that you're going to begin to show the love of God to your community and your people. But there's a call. There's a call here today to say, God, everything that's negative is not, not in my life anymore, but I'm going to do what Philippians says. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things of good report, I'm going to begin to meditate and think on these things. So you have three and a half minutes now that I took 30 seconds more of your time. Would you find a place? Would you pray with your spouses? Would you come forward? Would you lift up your hands? Would you find a place to kneel? Would you say, Lord, I want to love God and love people the way that you want me to? Would you, would you come on in? Come on up. Hallelujah.
so we can drop kick the enemy in the face before we leave the service. You say, Pastor, God's speaking to me. Would you wave your hand right at me so I could see it all across this room? If that's you, God. If, is, if there's someone that you need to forgive right now, would you wave at me? If there's someone that you need, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Let me pray over you. Lord, we pray for favor over our people. We pray for favor with you and for with man. Second, God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom to, to envelop their life on how they're supposed to walk forward in relationship and business dealings and in life with their finances. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom on how to lead their families. And Father, thirdly, I pray that they will path, their, their paths will cross with someone that they can show the love of you that can't do anything in return. And God, let us be sensitive this week to be agents of a depth-filled kind of love, not just with words, but with actions. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, you can be dismissed. My wife is going to sing a couple more worship songs. If you want to stay in worship, you can. I want to pray. God bless you guys. We'll see you.